Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. So anyway, we've been on the air now starting our fifth year. We started way back in Genesis, and we've come up all the way through the Old Testament, through the Gospels, and now we're into the book of Acts, chapter 6, the last verse, is where we left off in our last program. And here we have Stephen brought before the religious leaders of Israel. And as I've been stressing, contrary, I know, to tradition, that all of these early chapters of Acts are still to the nation of Israel. There is no mention of Gentiles whatsoever. All the language is Jewish. Everything is there in Jerusalem. And here again in chapter 6 now, as we came down in the last part of the chapter in our last program, Stephen is brought before the consul of the synagogue there and uh, verse 15. And all that sat in the consul, that is this religious leadership, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face that had been the face of an angel. In other words, they could see that there was something beyond the natural here. Stephen was filled, you want to remember, with the Holy Spirit. And now as you come into chapter 7, after hearing all the accusations which the Jews had put forth against Stephen and, of course, Peter and the eleven and all the other believers there at Jerusalem, the high priest says in chapter 7, verse 1, Are these things so? And he, Stephen, said, Men, brethren, and fathers. Now again, just analyze those three words. There's there no room for a Gentile in there. Stephen was referring to Jews, especially there in the consul, in the religious leadership. But uh, he was speaking to the whole nation in actuality. And then as you read on, it says, The God of glory appeared unto our father Abraham. Now, underline that word appeared, because in the Greek it's the word optomii, from which we get the word optometrist. And, of course, you're all acquainted with optometrists. They work with the seeing aspect of our eyes. And so what Stephen is saying here by inspiration is that God actually appeared to Abraham in a form that he could see with his eyes. Now, as we look back in Genesis chapter 12, we're not going to take time to go back to for this one, but in Genesis 12, verse 1, it just simply says that the Lord had said to Abraham. And uh, it doesn't clarify it like it does here, but now we have the clarification that not only did God speak to Abram, he appeared to him in a human form, which we call a theophany. All right, reading on then. So he appeared unto our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. In other words, before he had moved out of Ur of the Chaldees. 
Now, I'm not going to take all of chapter 7 verse by verse because it is just a beautiful review of Israel's history. Beginning with Abraham, Stephen just keeps building and building and building, as we've tried to do as we came up through the Old Testament, how that God was just constantly unfolding and revealing, preparing the nation for the coming of their king and their Messiah and their Redeemer. And so he starts with Abram and shows how he came out of the land of the Chaldeans in verse 4, dwelt in Haran, and then from there he moved down into this land, which of course was Canaan, wherein he says, you now dwell. And then when you come all the way down to verse 6, it says, God spake on this wise, that his seed, in other words, his offspring, the coming generations, should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years. That's speaking of Egypt, of course. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage, I will judge, said God. Now, this is all back in Genesis 15. And after that, the Lord told Abram, they shall come forth and serve me in this place. Now, let's go back. Maybe we better construct, reconstruct. Go back, if you will, to Genesis and, uh, oh, let's see. I'm going to have to take you back. Didn't intend to do this. But let's go back to chapter 26, I think is where it is. 26 and 46. But let's look at 26 first, so that we'll know what Stephen is talking about. Now, all of these things back here are so fundamental to our understanding of even the New Testament, and that's why I spend as much time in Genesis as I did, because I've always said if they don't understand Genesis, they'll never understand even the gospel of grace. But back here in Genesis chapter 26, verse 1, after God had made this covenant agreement with Abraham, and now he's referring it on to Isaac, the, the true son of promise. Now verse 1 of chapter 26, And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Now that was down on the border between uh, Israel, or Palestine, Canaan, and Egypt. Verse 2, And the Lord appeared unto him, see, Isaac as well, and he appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Now that's why we call Canaan or Palestine the land of promise, because everything connected with Canaan was based on the promises of God. And so that's why we have that term. All right, now verse 3. God speaking to Isaac says, Sojourn in this land, the land of Canaan. And I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And what was that? The Abrahamic covenant. Now, verse 4, he continues on repeating that Abrahamic covenant. I will make thy seed the multiplier as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, or those tribes, living in Canaan. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice. All right, now let's come on over to chapter 46, if you will. And now Joseph is down in Egypt. Joseph has 
all kinds of food and grain stored up during this famine that was covering that whole part of the world. And knowing that Joseph is in Egypt and has found out from the sons that have been down to get grain that indeed he's there, and he has invited Jacob and the rest of the family to come down into Egypt and, and take part of all of the food and everything that had been supplied. And then again, let's start in verse 2 of chapter 46. Now, this is Jacob. We started with Abraham and then Isaac, and now we're up to Jacob. And God spake unto Israel, that is Jacob, in the visions of the night, and he said, Jacob, Jacob. And he, Jacob, said, Here am I. And he said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt. See, that's quite a change, isn't it? First he said, Don't go to Egypt. Stay in the land of promise, and I'll bless you. But now in a future generation, it's time for the nation of Israel to explode in population. And God had told Abraham that that would be down in Egypt. And so now God comes back to Jacob and he says, fear not to go down into Egypt. And here's the part I always want folks to understand. This statement tells us where the nation of Israel began to come into bloom. And it was in Egypt. You see that? Fear not to go down in Egypt, for I will there, in Egypt, make of thee a great nation. Now, you want to remember, up until this time, you've only got Abraham, you've got Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob comes back with the twelve sons and their children. That's still not much of a nation, is it? But now, when they end up in Egypt, and under those years of slavery beginning, of course, when they go in under Jacob. They'll come out under Moses, now a nation of several million people. So always remember, if nothing else, that Israel became a nation of people down in Egypt. All right, back to Acts. Chapter 7. <clears throat> Now you can come down to verse 7. And the nation to whom they shall be in bondage, which was Egypt, God says, I will judge. After that they shall come forth and serve me in this place. And again, that's Canaan. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac, circumcised him the eighth day. Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. The patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, and God was with him, delivered him out of all his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now, I'm taking this verse by verse because here is something that we have to learn from the Old Testament in order to prove something in the New. Verse 10. God delivered him, Joseph, out of all his affliction, gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, made him governor. Now, verse 11, there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. Our fathers found no sustenance. And you know the story. But when Jacob heard that there was corn or grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. In other words, the sons, the ten of them. Now, verse 13 is... A little statement that I always have my classes underline or highlight. And at the second time. Underline that word second. 
And the second time Joseph was made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. Let's go back. Genesis. Reconstruct. Genesis 42. Genesis 42. You all know the account of how Joseph, when he was still wearing that coat of many colors, would share his dreams with his older brothers and how it would infuriate them when he dreamed that there was this whole group of sheaves and 12 of them, I guess, 11 and one in the center, and the 11 all bowed down to the one in the center, and oh, and made the brethren furious because they caught on what he was driving at, and they said, you mean we're going to fall down and worship you? Well, then he had another dream that even made it worse, and he saw 11 stars and the sun and the moon, and they all made obeisance to Joseph, and the brethren caught that. Well, see, now it's coming to fruition. I don't put any stock in dreams today. I had someone ask me again the other night if I have any, anything uh, connecting with believing what dreams say. And I say, none whatsoever. My, if they were, I'd be in a mental institution. I think we all would. <laughs> don't tie anything to dreams. <laughs> but anyway, back here in the Old Testament economy, God did speak through dreams, no doubt about it. All right, verse 1 of chapter 42. Now when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why look ye upon one another? Behold, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Get you down hither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. And so Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. Now you know the story. They come before Joseph. And I see, I guess I'll have to bring you down to verse 8 of this same chapter. And Joseph knew his brethren. Now, you see that? Just as soon as those ten men stepped into his environment, Joseph immediately knew who they were. But did they know him? No. Now, what's the analogy? Well, Christ at his first coming. Oh, the Lord knew Israel from their very beginning. And he presented himself to them in language that was clear as day. But did they ever recognize him? No. And see, this is the lesson. This is exactly what Stephen is driving home. That just like in Joseph's circumstances, the brethren came and were recognized by Joseph, but they didn't know Joseph. All right, now let's come over to the next event when they come back the second time. That would be in chapter 45. They've come back now the second time to refill their socks with grain. Verse 1, chapter 45. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me, that is, of the Egyptians. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. You see that? And then look at the uh, results. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? 
And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And then verse 4, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. And then you come all the way down to verse 14, 15, verse 15. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren, he wept upon them, and after that his brethren talked with him. What do you have? Well, you have an emotional reunion. And I mean it was emotional. When after all these years they are finally brought back together. Well, now what's the analogy? Before you go back to Acts on your way back up, stop at Zechariah. Zechariah, now that's the next to the last book in your Old Testament. I always tell my class people, find Matthew, anybody can find that. And then come back to the left through Malachi, and then you will come to Zechariah. Now remember that at his first advent, Israel didn't know Jesus, he knew them. And the analogy draws all the way through Acts chapter 7. And they said, Away with him, we'll not have this man to rule over us. And so he went back to glory, sat down at the Father's right hand, but he's coming again to the nation of Israel. Whether they believe it or not, he's coming again. And there's going to be that same glorious emotional reunion when Israel recognizes their Messiah. I was reading in the Jerusalem Post here a while back that the mayor, the ex-mayor, Teddy Collick, 80-some years old now, and he has just brought Jerusalem, you might say, from a nothing to the beautiful city that it is. But talking about the Messiah one day, and he said, well, the first thing I'm going to ask him when he comes is, have you been to Jerusalem before? And you see, that's their hang-up. They just can't recognize that he has been here before. They know he's coming, but they can't see it as a second event. Well, here in Zechariah now, we see the emotional turn of events when he will return. Verse 10 of Zechariah 12. Did I give you the chapter? I don't believe I did. Zechariah 12, verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. See, a reference to the crucifixion. They shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him that is in bitterness for his firstborn. And in that day, verse 11, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. Verse 12, And the land shall mourn every family apart, the family of the house of David, their wives apart, the family of the house of Nathan, and so on and so forth. And I don't think this is a mourning of, of grief, but a, a tearful Morning of reunion that they have their Messiah. Uh, another one is in chapter 13. Just turn the page over to verse 6 in this same little book. Zechariah verse 6. Uh, verse chapter 13, verse 6. And one, that is of the house of Israel, of course, and one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hand? And then he shall answer those with which as I was wounded in the house of my friends. See how plain that is? That's Old Testament. After the fact, see? All right, now if you'll come back with me for the last few moments of this half hour, we'll continue on in Acts chapter 7. And so 
Stephen is hammering home the fact that Christ in his first advent, they didn't know who he was. And you know, so far as Israel is concerned, it's a good thing they didn't. Because had they have performed the rejection that they did, knowing who he was, God would have had to destroy the nation. There wouldn't have been any excuse. But you see, even as Christ hung on the cross, one of those seven statements that he made on the cross was, Father, forgive them. Why? They know not what they do. And even as Stephen will be stoned here in just a little bit, he too will say the same thing, forgive them. Not just out of a heart of grace alone, although that was certainly part of it, but because of their ignorance. Now, I always have to tell my class people, everything rests on the Old Testament economy. Back in Israel's history, if a farmer was cleaning stones and rocks off his field and he's throwing them over a hedgerow, and unbeknown to him, someone is walking on the other side and he hits him on the head with a pretty good-sized rock and kills him. Well, now, he didn't know the fellow was there. He was in total ignorance. Now, that was in the days of the cities of refuge, so that good Jew, as soon as he realized what he had done and knew that he would be accused of killing someone, he could run to a city of refuge, and he could tell his situation to the city fathers. And if the city fathers had maintained that he was innocent of not doing anything in premeditated murder, he was set free. He'd go back to his farm. Now, the reason was that he was not guilty if he did what he did in total ignorance. Now, that's all the backdrop then for Israel's response to their Messiah. Had they have known who he was and then demanded his crucifixion, they would have had to be put to death like a common murderer. But they escaped that because they did not know what they did. And keep that in mind. Well, let's see. A verse I usually associate with that, keep your hand in Acts, is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. My verse that I'd gone a long ways along my road to the Christian life before I ever knew this Bible, uh, this verse was in the Bible. And I imagine most people are the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. In other words, Paul is speaking of his, his own ministry. Now verse 8. Which none, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, who he was, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Stands to reason, doesn't it? But they didn't know. And so the Lord could rightfully say, Father, forgive them. They're ignorant. They don't know what they're doing. And the same way when they kill Stephen. Stephen will say the same thing. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. All right, now then, if you'll come back. have got two minutes left. Chapter 7, verse 13 again. And so at the second time, Joseph made known to his brethren, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh, and then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen souls. So Jacob went down into Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over into Shechem, which, of course, is in Canaan. 
and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham bought for a sum of money of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. And you remember, it's the sons of Heth back in Genesis. Now, this is interesting because, see, this is the very same burial site that is a holy site in Israel tonight for the Muslims as well as the Jews. And it is this very same burial cave, the cave of Machpelah, where this Jewish doctor, when what, about a year ago now, uh, massacred all of those Muslims in their time of prayer. Same place. It, it's the burial place of Abraham and uh, Rebekah and Jacob and Leah. They were all buried in that same place. Now, it's interesting that Abraham bought it from the Canaanites and Jacob had to turn around and pay it again. But nevertheless, this is the same burial place that is still held in, uh, what should I say, in reverence by the Jew as well as the Muslim. All right, so they're brought back up to Shechem. And then verse 17, And when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt until another king arose who did not know Egypt. Now we'll have to stop there and we'll pick it up in our next half hour. Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at one 800 369 7856. That's 1-800-369-7856. Remember, this is a faith ministry, and your participation with us is greatly appreciated. Again, our address is Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. And our phone is 1-800-369-7856. Thanks again for listening, and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.